If you're able to remain seating, seated, uh, st- remain standing, I'm sorry, please uh, do so. Either way, um, please take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 2. If you have uh, children uh, who are uh, going to participate in the children's choir, if you would dismiss them at this time, Katie and Deborah will be right out back here to, to collect them, and then uh, shortly they'll bring them back. If you have children in the nursery, they'll have them picked up from the nursery and brought back to the nursery as well. So uh, we're looking forward to three weeks from today, Lord willing, when the children will minister to us through the gift of, of music. James chapter 1, it's on page 1011. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one in that pew in front of you. Otherwise, we want to read the first seven verses of James chapter 2. This is God's Word for us this morning. And here's what God says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, stand over there, or sit down at my feet, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word, for there is no word like your word. And our prayer now is that you would be glorified and worshipped even as we now receive your word, that you would in fact help us by the very presence of your spirit, that these words would not fall upon deaf ears and closed hearts, but that you would open our ears, our hearts, and our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from this word, and that you would change us. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're now in a new segment of the book of James. As we begin chapter 2, we begin this segment that, in a sense, begins at verse 1, and it'll run through verse 13. This morning, our attempt will be to look at the first seven verses, and then to come back next week, Lord willing, and pick up the remainder of these first 13 verses. We'll look at verses 8 through 13, perhaps, next Sunday. And then after that, we'll take a break out of James and and look at some things from the Gospel of Luke that will take us up until Christmas. And then, Lord willing, in January, we'll jump back in to James chapter 2. 
But this morning, in today's passage, as well as in next week's passage, it really addresses the issue of partiality. Here in our passage this morning, the first seven verses, it calls out partiality as a sin. And it explores how partiality is both inconsistent with and incompatible to the Christian faith. And then next week, it's a more of a deeper dive into the matter of partiality as it looks at some of the uh, uh, scriptural basis of condemning partiality. He begins the first verse there. I'm just going to dissect the verse in, in probably three layers. He says, my brothers show no partiality. Partiality fails to treat as uh, people as equally made in the image of God. There's one thing that all people have in common. In fact, the book of Proverbs says, um, the rich and the poor have this in common. They are, they are each made by God. In a sense, there, there is, there is a, a shared equality and a shared dignity of all of humanity. Partiality is a rejection of that premise. Literally, the word partiality in the language that James wrote in originally, it's, it's made up of two words, and uh, it's kind of an awkward phrase, actually. It, it, it means to be a face receiver. Do not be a face receiver. <laughs> well, what, what, does that, what does that mean? Well, it, it, it means to, if you would, to discriminate against someone, to show favoritism uh, towards someone uh, based upon something external or superficial. The, the criteria is, is external and superficial. It treats people differently based upon outward appearance or worldly standards. As he'll we'll, as say in a minute in verse 4, such partiality or favoritism is rooted in evil motives. We should not estimate people and we should not treat people differently based upon external matters such as dress or skin color or body shape or other physical features or occupation or your neighborhood or your educational level or your ethnic group. All of, all of those things have a, a bit of superficiality to them that, uh, that may weigh large and loom big by worldly standards, but they deny the equality of all humanity as that which is being made in the image of God. So, my brothers, show no partiality. Don't be a face receiver. Don't estimate how you're going to treat somebody based upon externals and appearances. Yeah. He goes on, he says, now, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I think well ago when I read the scripture, I left out Christ there, but 
uh, which is a bad thing to do in a Christian sermon to leave Christ out. So, but hopefully I'll put him in here before the sermon's done. But, but as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, I, I think what he's saying here then, show no partiality as you hold the faith, that, that definite article in front of faith, I suggest that he's not referring to the act of believing in Jesus. He's referring to the body of truth or the, the, the doctrine that Christians believe in. And so really what he's saying is that, is that showing partiality is incompatible with Christian doctrine. Showing partiality uh, is outside the parameters of Christian orthodoxy. It is, and I'll say more about this in a minute, particularly in verses 5, 6, and 7. Uh, it, it is outside the parameters of Christian doctrine. To size people up by just external standards is inconsistent with Christian teaching, and it is incompatible to Christian teaching. And then he has another layer in here. So, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's almost like stockpiling descriptions here of the Lord, and I don't think he's doing that just to kind of fill up some space. I, I, I think he's really even trying to make a, an important point, point about partiality and the sin of partiality by referring to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory. It's a common Old Testament title in reference to God himself. And I, I think in this context, his I would suggest to you the reason he's inserted that additional title, he's the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the Lord of glory, uh, is perhaps he is suggesting to us that partiality is guilty of giving much glory to some human beings and denying glory to other human beings. And really the, the point he's going to make is that, it, is, is that it is the Lord himself who is glorious, and he has no rivals. He has no competitors in the glory category. And so to give glory to one segment of humanity and to deny glory from another segment of humanity is, is wrong from the starting block because only God is, is glorious. And yet... And yet, what God does in the gospel, what Jesus does in his finished work on the cross, is that all who trust in Jesus, no matter what your external look is, all who trust in Jesus uh, have a shared destiny with the glorious Jesus. Je the, Jesus alone is glorious, and yet, and yet those who belong to the glorious Lord uh, are, 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 are destined to be glorified in Him. I think that's maybe what he's referring to back in chapter 1 when he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. The lowliest of people by the world's standards, the lowliest of people who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ will be beneficiaries of the glory that the Lord shares with his believing people. 
So why do we not favor one segment of the population with another segment of the population based upon worldly experience, uh, worldly standards? Why? Because the Lord alone is glorious and the Lord shares his glory with his believing people. Now, now James in verses 2, 3, and 4, he provides an example of, of what he's talking about. I'm assuming that, that James knows that this kind of stuff has gone on at the church house. And so he's going to call it out by giving an example to illustrate uh, the sadness of how partiality works. And, and, and it's an example of favoritism or partiality uh, that entails favoring the rich and discriminating against the poor. Let's look at the story, the illustration rather. Verse 2, for if a man wearing a, a gold ring and fine clothing, I, I think that in that, particularly in that day and age, he's referring to someone who has some sort of social class or some sort of uh, wealth. Um, so he's talking about a wealthy person in this particular Example, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, so the context here is a, a, a gathering of, of church, um, and uh, a poor man at the same time comes in, perhaps both of them are visitors that Sunday, I don't know. And if a poor man um, in shabby clothes also comes in, so a distinction is being made upon what they're wearing. And what they're wearing indicates, uh, in this example, uh, one's uh, social economic um, level. Right? And you, the one with the gold ring and the fine clothing, right over here, the best place in the house. The one it, with the shabby clothes, um, I think there's a place in the back corner that you can stand. Or uh, just... Uh, sit down here by my smelly feet. Makes no difference to me, whichever. Verse 4 then makes it explicit what's the dynamic going on here. The Lord has given James some, some insight into the interior heart of man in terms of this favoritism and partiality stuff. And he says there, uh, uh, this, is, this is cutting through the clutter of, okay, so what's the point of the illustration? Um, he says, that, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? Uh, in other words, are you not treating people with favoritism? Are you not uh, segregating people? And become judges with evil thoughts? And this may come as a shock to you if you don't know much about the Bible, but not all judging is rendered wrong in the Bible. But there is a wrong kind of judging in the Bible. And, and what James is saying is, and this is that kind, this is an evil kind of judging. It's, it's judging somebody based upon their social class, or it's judging somebody based upon external appearances or worldly standards fawning over the rich guy who comes into church and showing disdain and contempt for the poor guy who wants to come to church. 
James is calling that out as evil. That's right. It's evil. It's, it's making, it's rendering a judgment based upon ungodly, unnecessary, inappropriate criteria. Now, before I go on, let, let, me, let me do a caveat here. I think this might be helpful. If it's, if it's not, then, well, at least I tried. So, To say that all people are equal need not mean that all people are the same. Some distinctions in life seem to be fitting and appropriate, a part of God's design himself. God made all people in his image, and yet he added distinctions and variety about that. He's not boring. Not all of us can just be plain old Joes. So sometimes it, it's, it's even appropriate to, to render a decision, might we even say a judgment, about a situation that's not evil-based. Let me give two examples of that, that, that I think are examples of making distinctions and yet are not perhaps guilty of favoritism and partiality. Right? So, sometimes giving a greater measure of respect to someone for an appropriate reason is warranted, is a good thing, is necessary. Let me illustrate this. In Leviticus 19, verse 15, it's probably, and we'll get to it, we'll come back to this next week, Lord willing, but in Leviticus 19, 15, it's probably one of the clearest statements in the law about partiality. Leviticus, Leviticus, I'm having trouble with that, ain't I? So you know the book I'm talking about, uh, but uh, so don't make me say it again. But in, in, in chapter 15, verse 19 of that book, he says, you shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. So in that context, he's saying, in other words, there could be, there could be a flip-flop on this. And, and either way, one's social economic stratus should not determine the kind of judgment that you make. You shouldn't... Um, show favoritism because they are poor. You shouldn't show favoritism because they are rich. You should just take them as they are, people made in the image of God. You shall judge your neighbor accordingly, that they're just people made in the image of God. You would render a righteous judgment and not a judgment based upon appearance. Okay, that's one of the clearest statements in the Scriptures that says no favoritism, no partiality, whichever, whichever side of the spectrum that we're wanting to illustrate. He says, he says in 17 verses later, in Leviticus 19.32, here's what he says. You shall stand before the gray head and honor the face of the old man. Do, do you see what he just did? 
in, in the same chapter in which he is so emphatic about no partiality either way, he says, you know, but, but old people should be received honor and respect. Well, isn't that playing favorites? Well, no, not in this context. It's failure to distinguish the things that are different. All people are equally made in the image of God, and yet that doesn't mean there's not distinctions in life. We, 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 do, we do not have to go around calling each other comrade because we don't buy into a Marxist worldview uh, that, that says any sort of class distinction or difference in people is wrong in every shape, form, or word. I mean, so we, we, um, uh, there are different roles. There are different allotments. There are different positions and places in life. And therefore, there are times with, that it is appropriate, it is biblical, it is worthy to give uh, more respect to someone or some group of people than other group of people. That, that doesn't be made with full motive. Does that make sense? What James is attacking here is people who have made distinctions with evil motives. Uh, the rich guy, hey bud, you sit over here. I, I would venture what, what the evil motive is. I don't know for sure, but, uh, but you know what? Uh, if you get chummy, if you fawn over the rich, you may figure out, hmm, this, who is this going to benefit? So I got a good spot for you. Boy, this is going to come back on me. Whereas, you know what? Uh, why be nice to a poor person? I mean, pfft, what can they do for you? So, see, that, that's, that's maybe part of what's in flow. All we're James says is they're judging with evil intent. We don't know what the particulars of that evil intent are. I just maybe gave you a possible scenario. But, but that's altogether different than saying, you know, we love old people. And, and I'll let you figure out if you're in that group or not. But, but, uh, but, 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 but may we be a kind of people. May we be a culture of people. May we be a church of people who, uh, who, who, who do give deference to our seniors, who want to honor them. We want them to feel loved and respected, particularly in a culture that says, you know what? It's time you die. It is old and in the way. We shouldn't feel that way at all. We should honor them. And that's not an evil thing. It's a good thing. Or another example. Another example of, on the one hand, we shouldn't show partiality. That would render distinctions based upon uh, external appearances. And, and yet, what if, what if you come in contact? What, what, if, what if somebody... In comes into church, and they're, they're, they're maybe physically struggling. They're maybe handicapped, or maybe uh, their, their hearing is not as, as, as good as it used to be or could be. Uh, uh, there's some sort of uh, physical disability with them. Uh, it, th th that's an opportunity to show mercy. In this case, we'd say, here, sit over here. This is a good spot for you. That's not in violation of what James is illustrating. It's, again, failure to distinguish things that differ. James gives one example of, of, of playing, playing uh, chummy, fawning over the rich guy, and, and dissing the poor guy, but that doesn't explain every sort of uh, scenario in which we could make distinctions about 
how people are different even though all people are equally made in the image of God. Does that make sense? Right. I could beat it into the ground longer if you... If you, if, if, if you was, and this is so true of James. James is very much like the book of Proverbs. It, it, is, it, is, it is chock full of how do we just practically live out this Christian faith thing? And, and, and so even as we, as we treat people as equally dignified in the image of God, that does not eradicate, that that doesn't make, make, make us egalitarians in every way possible, that, that, we, that we do say that there are differences. And, and, and then some of those differences are appropriate to, uh, to um, accentuate and even to honor and to show mercy toward and yet, it's true with all categories of wisdom, there's complexities. There's not always one-size-fits-all kind of answers. Even as we think in our culture today, and I know on the one hand, James, is, James has a very limited scope here. He's, he's not, James is not trying to change the whole world. He's just trying to clarify seating charts in church. I, 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 I say that I'm, I'm not trying to dumb this thing down, but, but you know, if nothing else, it's a reminder that, you know, you and I, we, we, we live in a country that things are going south or things are, are going bad or whatever, and, and we get kind of flustered and upset, and we're like, we're going to take back America and change the world. Well, I think the church should, first of all, just focus upon itself behaving properly. We, we want to tell the world how to live, and we're still sorting it out our own self. And so, uh, it, it, you know, we, 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 want to, we want to solve all societal ills. And uh, I don't know if you don't have to look very far to realize we got, we got some societal ills still percolating around in our own uh, subculture that we need to pay attention to. That, I'm not saying we shouldn't be salt and light. I'm just saying that we should be very humble in that our first primary focus should be on how can we live well, live wisely, so that we can be salt and light, so that we can model well for people that things like partiality uh, are evil and wicked. Things like favoritism is, is evil and wicked. And, and yet there's a whole host of complexities as to how we navigate and, and negotiate these things. Like, like in, I think one of the challenges in our broader culture is the issue of what I would call reverse preferentialism. And uh, maybe that's a function of mercy. Uh, either way, it, it, it's, it's a category that, that needs much wisdom to sort out. All right, but I'm going to sh- shift gears. Second point I want to make is in verses 5, 6, and 7, uh, some reasons against uh, partiality. James gives two reasons here. And uh, he picks back up on what he says in verse 1. He says, my brothers. He's, he's, he's speaking in a very loving, gentle way. He picks that back up again in verse 5. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. And he proceeds to give two reasons on why we should wave off evil impartiality in our lives. Uh, and and the, the first reason is there in verse uh, 6, and um, 
the second reason, uh, I'm sorry, the first reason in, is in verse 5 and part of verse 6, and the second reason is second half of verse 6 and into verse 7. Um, the first reason is that uh, we shouldn't show evil partiality because uh, it is inconsistent with our God. He says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Do you see the point he's trying to make here? Why should we not favor the rich and snub the poor? Why should we not show partiality toward the rich uh, and ignore or treat with disdain or contempt the poor. Why? Because look at how God uh, operates. God cares for the poor. In fact, he has set his sights on making a statement to this world that thinks it's all that. And he's set his sights particularly on the poor to rescue and redeem the poor. To confound the wisdom of the world. In fact, I love how Paul expands this notion in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. In other words, consider how it is you became a Christian, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standard. That's, not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly and the despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. In other words, God draws us up a lot differently than you and I would. We would consult with Madison Avenue. We would consult with Hollywood. We, we would consult with uh, our favorite sports heroes. And, and we would say, man, now them's the beautiful people. They the strong, they the smart. And uh, th th them's the kind that we need in our church. Because if we get some of them in our church, whoo, we're going somewhere. James doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. Neither does in fact, are you ready to be offended? If you're here and you're faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're in the category of the things that are nothing. <laughs> Put that in your self-esteem. Um, I was going to say pipe, but we shouldn't talk like that. But, um, think of the stratus of poor. When we think of poor, we think of financial and economic poor. And, and I certainly think the Bible talks a lot about that in that way. But I think the Bible also talks about poor in other ways, other categories of what we might call disadvantaged. This, this is going to sound harsh, but some people just have a disadvantaged personality. Some people just have a disadvantaged mind. 
Some people just have a disadvantaged body. Some people have a disadvantaged origin. Some people have a disadvantaged um, uh, classification when it comes to power. Some people have a disadvantaged category when it comes to accomplishment. So there's all kinds of critters that I think we could just kind of shove into this category of poor. And that's, that's the point that Paul, I think, is, was trying to bring out when he says, you're not of noble birth, you're, you're not of, of, of wisdom, you're, you're, you're weak, uh, you're, you're, you're shameful, uh, you're, you're uh, lowly, you're despised, uh, the world would write you off as nothings. Oh, but God has not written you off as nothings. And that's the point he's trying to make in that first one. God does not write off the poor. Thus, neither should you or I. So, and then we see, he says, so what, what when we write off the poor, look at what he says at the very tail end of, of verse 6, you have dishonored the poor man. You... When you and I show favoritism based upon external, fan, external standards, when, when we judge um, uh, uh, wrongly and e with evil intent, then we have dishonored whom God actually has honored. Now, let me do a little sidebar, a little caveat here again. Uh, again, don't, don't make this passage say everything about everything. Um, Jesus is simply exploring life in church and in the church fellowship and the attitudes that we have. And when it comes to our attitudes toward each other, we, we, sh we, we, are we equally come to Jesus at the same level at the foot of the cross there are no uh, high echelon classifications that bump one of us up higher than the rest of us. There may be different roles and different functions. There may be different ways that we are different. And, 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 yet, and, and, and yet there is great equality that is to exist in terms of our attitudes and in terms of our, our eradication of preferential favoritism. But this is not saying everything that needs to be said or that the Bible says about the matter of poor or the matter of poverty or the matter of rich or the matter of wealthy. So don't make this passage, for instance, some people use this passage wrongly and suggest that this passage is teaching that only the poor will be saved and live in right relationship with the holy God. And that all wealthy and powerful are ipso facto cut off from God. See, that's stretching Christian teaching. That's suggesting that one's economic status is in fact the sole criteria by which one is made right with God. Scripture doesn't teach that. In fact, this passage doesn't teach that. For before it, it, it doesn't say everything there is to say about all poor people everywhere. He says, has not God, going back to verse 5, um, listen, my brothers, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? Now, 
The faith, I'm sorry, the, the poor do not automatically live in right relationship with God based upon their poverty. There, there are poor people who trust in Jesus, and there are poor people who reject Jesus. Conversely, there are rich people who are so full of themselves, they reject Jesus. And there are rich people who have been humbled before the cross and trust in Jesus. And so one's mere economic status does not place oneself in right relationship with a holy God. It is one's dependence upon Jesus. It is one trusting in what Jesus has done. But that's a sidebar. The point that he's trying to make in verse 5 and verse 6 is simple. When you and I, when we meet up with, when we interact with, when we go to church with the unwise and the lowly and the unglamorous and the unsophisticated and the shame-filled and the despised, even when we make them pastor, uh, then, then, then treat them as the Lord God treats them. Okay. Second point, verse 7 um, he says, um, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? They, they, again, in this scenario, they were fawning all over the rich uh, and, and they were snubbing and showing contempt for the poor. And, 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 and in a sense, in the first point, the first reason against partiality, he says, don't dishonor those whom God has honored. And, and really the converse of that is in play now. Don't show honor to those who dishonor God. Again, that's, this is not saying that all rich people dishonor God. It means rich people who dishonor God dishonor God. And, and, and here in this context, it is rich people who oppress you. Apparently, I'm assuming from this context, um, the, the, the real problem is not that there were some people who had wealth and riches, but that some people were unscrupulously rich. Just like there's some people who are unscrupulously poor. They just ain't very smart figuring out how to be unscrupulously rich, I guess. I don't know, but... In other words, these are people, ironically, who were exploiting Christians, who were oppressing Christians, taking advantage of Christians, even hauling them into court to, to get some stuff out of them. And he says, you're, you're not going to win them over by, by fawning over them. I think sometimes we, we do that in, our, in the world today. We just, the church thinks, you know what, if we could just show the world how hip and cool we are. That they'll like us. They'll like us, and they'll want to come to our church. And, and because, because, hey, guys, we're hip and cool. And, and they'll be like, yeah. And, and so all of us will be ungodly together, which is called not church. And maybe it's good intentions, but really bad strategies. It's like, like we, we want to win the favor of the world by seeing how much like the world we can like behave and be like them and everything and, and adopt their standards of judgment and, and distinctions and give it up. Just be God's people who want to live God's way and who want to model before the world 
uh, the benefits of living in a godly way. The character that comes to my mind as I see the scenario being played out here is um, from the, the, the character Mr. Potter from the movie It's a Wonderful Life. You guys have seen that movie, right? Don't make me come down there. <laughs> I'm about to show, draw a distinction here. Those whom I like because... They, no, but, I mean... This guy was unscrupulously rich. He, he was quick to foreclose. He, he, had, he had ruinous interest rates. Uh, he, would, he would drag you into court and take over possession of your house in a heartbeat. That was, this, is a, this is a heartless guy. And on top of that, here in this scenario, uh, these rich people in this particular case blaspheme God. They don't honor God, so we shouldn't honor them. Who's your hero? Who's the one that, man, I got to be like that guy? We share names. In fact, the movie was on yesterday. Uh, but you ever seen the original, the 1970s version of Walking Tall? Joe Don, Joe Don Braden, Joe Don Baker. Uh, I mean, we're kindred like that, you know? We, we share a lot in common, the two of us do. But... You know, it's like, I want to be that guy. I want to take a big club anyway. Uh, but uh, uh, we, we all have these, uh, maybe it's a movie star, maybe it's a sports figure, maybe it's a, a political, I don't know what you call those guys. But, uh, but anyway, you're just like, that's what I want to be like. And you, we, we, we give honor to those people. And yet, if they are people who dishonor the Lord, why would we want to dishonor them? See, but they're cool. <laughs> there we go again. So I'll close with this. We should not show partiality because we should ask, how does the Lord treat people? And we should do accordingly. Um, and secondly, how do people treat the Lord? And we should judge accordingly. You see there, a judgment is rendered after all. People who dishonor the Lord are people that we render a judgment on. Jesus himself said, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. And then I'll close. If you're here this morning and you've never turned and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and maybe you're hung up on the fact of, you know, I don't have my act together. I, I, I don't... I don't know why God would want to love someone like me. I don't know why God would want to adopt someone like me into his family. I'm a, I'm a hot mess, and I'm aware of that, and there's no way I could get it together to kind of earn his favor. Stop it right now. That's not how this works. God chooses the lowly. He chooses the foolish. He chooses the weak. 
if you're here this morning and you see yourself as totally unfit to belong to God, then know this. While you were still in your sins, Christ died for you. He, he will get you out of the gutter that you perceive yourself in, and he will raise you up, and he will, to use the language from Isaiah, he will set you uh, 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 with, on, with wings like eagles. He rescues the lowly, the despised, the poor, and the weak, and he loves us with an eternal love. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you love sinners, that even though we are each made in your image, we have rebelled against you, and yet you are granting amnesty to all who would come to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. So, Father, may those of us who know Jesus, may we live out the life that Jesus calls us to live. But those who do not know Jesus, I pray that you would bring them to yourself this morning, that they would see their need of a Savior who loved them and died for them, and that they would trust in him and follow him even this morning. Thank you for our time together in your word. Remove from our midst anything that's not of you, but embed in our souls that which is true to your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song together. <laughs>